Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 028. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, what if I said you didn't have to go to church to be a Christian, or pray, or serve, or fast? How would you respond, especially if I use one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible to prove the case? You might be amazed what this idea can do for your faith. Let's find out exactly what. So, you're a new Christian? Awesome! All right, let's pull out the checklist now. Uh, let's see here. Do you read your Bible at least 15 minutes a day? Mm, we'll mark that a line. Do the, you ever let your feet touch the floor before you have prayed? Uh, that's glancing. That way I think that is... We're going to have to... No, that's not... Have you kept up with fasting at least one day every week? No. (laughs) To the gallows with you, heretic. Have you ever felt like Christianity... Have you ever felt like Christianity is this never-ending to-do list? Brian, you keep giving us next steps every week. What do you want us to do? You ever hear the argument, I'd be a Christian, but I don't have time? It can seem, with some of the stuff that Christians do, that Christianity is a big time commitment. Christianity is a big energy commitment. Just ask, well, just about anybody here, you can pretty much close your eyes and point, you'll hit somebody who has offered time and energy to the ministry of this church. What would you do, how would you respond, if I told you, You don't have to read your Bible to be a Christian. You don't have to pray or go to church to be a Christian. I'm guessing I know how some of you would respond. I'll give you a 10-second head start. Use it wisely. Dave's already leaning in on me. So how am I going to do this? Demonstrate this? At least give me a few minutes to try. I'm even going to use scripture to pull it off. Let's pray together. God, grow us through your word. Remind us of the things maybe we knew ahead of time and just need refreshed in our hearts. Amen. So what passage could I possibly use to pull off such a crazy idea? I'm going to go straight for the top of the mountain. I'm going to use one of the most quoted verses in the Bible to demonstrate you don't have to do all those things to be a Christian. Then the Lord answered me, and he said, Write the vision, this is God talking to the prophet Habakkuk, and make it plain on tablets so that a runner may may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And that is the line I'm going to use. Last week, I did a demonstration to show how God, to use kind of Matt Chandler's line, a pastor down in Texas, that God always gives us enough rope to run. And if we are conceited, if we are cocky, if we are proud in our own abilities, we will run ourselves out of rope. And the rope will always win. Now, That can give us some kind of hope. 
Because it reminds us that God will deal with those who have done wrong, with those who have gone against him, with those who have hurt those who are God's people. You know, that kind of covers sort of the extreme end of of personality spectrum. What about those who, imperfect as they might be, they try to do right. They try to do good. What's for them? Well, we have the money verse that tells us. The righteous live by their faith. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Now, God takes the proud. And in this case, because of the context here, consider the proud, those who think, I can do it all by myself. And God pairs that against the righteous. Those who are trying to do good, even if they're imperfect in that. And so this is a a pregnant verse. There's a lot to it. And even a lot of Christianese in it. So we're going to try and break this down a little bit to draw something out of it. Now, I'm going to put out kind of this disclaimer because we're going to sort of step out of the context and and break this down into parts. So I'm going to have to make statements that a relatively conservative Christian would just accept as truth. Okay, And it's beyond the scope of this message to try and prove each and every statement that I'm going to make. So if there's a question that you have about, you know, was Jesus perfect? Is the Bible reliable? Things like that. I'll gladly talk to you about that outside of this context. But for now, I'm just going to end up stating them and kind of move on. Otherwise, well, we'll be here until the outdoor service next week. So, God has the righteous, and he's he's giving us, he's breaking down that word by comparing it with the proud, by comparing it to those who think, I got it all together, I can do it all myself. I have all the confidence in me and my abilities. And I can do it all by myself is a fast track to trouble when it comes to Jesus. So what about those who maybe don't always get it right? Those people, the righteous, they get, there are a lot of things by themselves they can't do. In the same way that I, by myself and my own abilities, cannot jump over the Grand Canyon. It's about that kind of scale. And so what happens? If we can't do it ourselves, how does this righteousness, how does this good in the eyes of God thing work out? Well, Andrew, come on up here for a second. He has bravely agreed to help me out here. Now, let's see. Dude, your shirt's not tucked in. That collar. Get that flat. Who ironed your shirt this morning? No, he didn't say me. (laughs) Imperfect. Love him as I do. But Jesus is perfect. One of those statements that, again, I'm not going to try and back up right here and now. So I'm going to take a big leap of faith and play Jesus here with a perfect coat. If you see any wrinkles, just squint and all will be good. So, if I am playing Jesus in perfection, how does righteousness work when Andrew is imperfect? It works like this. So that when God looks at Andrew, he doesn't see the wrinkles. He doesn't see the misplaced hair. He sees Jesus' perfection. And because of that, God looks at Andrew and says, Andrew, you're perfect. Paul demonstrates it in 2 Corinthians 5. When he says, For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus, no sin, perfect. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, 
God doesn't see our imperfections. He sees Jesus' perfections. Good job, buddy. You are a brave soul. So why is this important? Why spend a few minutes of your life breaking down this word righteous? Well, I'll give you kind of an analogy here. Now, let's say my goal is to make it to the back of the church. Okay, I'm going to get back there. And I can do it all by myself. So I'm going to do some good things. I'm going to help out the poor. I'm going to hand out Bibles. I'm going to feed the hungry. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to wash dishes. I'm going to listen to my parents. All great things. Absolutely. But I'm nowhere closer, am I? Why? Because I got myself off course right at the very start. Did you pick up what I did? I want to make it to the back of the church. I can do it all by myself. And all those things, great as they are, if I don't start out oriented the right way, they're not going to get me anywhere. If my goal is heaven, a relationship with God, anything beyond the here and now, it really helps if I'm oriented the right way at the start. Recognizing that I can't do it by myself. That I need Jesus' perfection on me to be going in the right way. And then those things aren't throwing us off. Self-confidence is not the way to do it. It's not going to be the tool that gets us there. It's not going to be the tool that gets me to the back of the sanctuary. Faith in Jesus Christ will. So, let's break down that second idea. So what's this idea of faith all about? Well, Jackie has agreed bravely to help me out here. So, I told her she'd be relatively unscathed, but I didn't tell her what was going on. So, if you would, please have a seat. Really? Yeah. You're just going to plop down? You're not concerned at all that the, I mean, I had that chair up there the whole, overnight. You're not concerned the deacons, like, sabotaged my prop? No. All those tools in your husband's workshop, and you're not thinking he may, and he's Italian? You're not thinking maybe he chopped out the leg a little bit and, brave. I think this is a nice, sturdy chair. You do? Apparently. Right. Because you just plopped right down. (laughs) Didn't check it out at all first. And she trusted me to ask her to do it. I know. <laughs> oh. That was the hardest part. That was, that was the hardest part. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's all I ask you to do. We have not, among, not only servant hearts, but brave hearts in this church. Here is the fact. Whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, we all practice faith just to get through life. Illustration for all of you. How many of you this morning got one of those rolly cart things, got under your car, and checked the brake lines to make sure they were intact before you drove out of your garage or out of your driveway? None of you. Mm. How many of you got one of those test strips from Amazon and tested out your coffee to make sure there was no arsenic in it before you took that first sip? Nobody. Yet, you drove to church, most of you. You drank the coffee. I think our order for arsenic test strips is coming tomorrow, so we'll have them ready for the coffee for next week here at church. Like Jackie did, you have a certain trust 
that these things are okay, that the brakes are going to work, that the coffee is not poisoned, that the chair you sit in is going to hold you up. The writer of Hebrews gives us a definition. This elaborates on, or this builds on, a definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what are the, some of the things that we, speaking as a Christian, that we hope for, yet don't see? Maybe that we hope that God is good. We don't see it. At least not in the way that I can see Andrew. We hope that God is working. We have hope that we have eternal life. These are just a couple of examples. Now, is there any evidence to back up these hopes, even if we can't see them? What kind of things do we turn to? Well, we look at, what does the Bible tell us? What does, does God work throughout history? And here's documentation of history. Is God working in our lives? Is God working in the lives of those around us that we can hear their stories of what God is doing? See, having faith, even in those things that we cannot see, it's not a blind stab in the dark or slash in the dark. It is trusting the evidence of the things we can see to help us trust those things that we can't see. Can I go back to the, the example I had used before? How do we trust, I mean, if we don't get under the car and, ch- and check out the brake lines each and every time we pull out of the driveway, how do we trust that they're working? Well, the brakes worked when I pulled into the driveway and put it in park. The car was locked up in the garage ever since I left it. I'm going to trust in the not long shot that somebody didn't break into my garage cut the lines and then sneak back out. This car is untouched since the brakes last worked. I'm going to trust that they're going to work when I get back in. That's kind of how it works. We use the evidence of the things we have seen to help us trust in things we haven't or that we don't see. So about that third idea? Live. The righteous, if I reorder the, the question, the statement a little bit, the righteous by faith will live. Well, I want you to catch kind of a theme of what's going on here. Righteous. Gift of God. Nothing we do, nothing we say, nothing we think can help us get it all by ourselves or increase it. Faith. Gift from God. As Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, faith is a gift from God. Nothing we do can merit it, can help us to deserve it. Nothing we do is going to Grow it or start it from nothing. We live entirely by the gift of God, by gifts of God. Righteousness, gift of God. Faith, gift of God. And so let's go back to my intro question. The idea you don't have to do Bible study. Is studying the Bible going to earn you more righteousness in front of God? No. Is fasting going to increase how much you deserve grace and faith? No. Is anything we do going to make us more right in God's eyes? No. We don't have to do Bible study, prayer, fasting, go to church. We don't have to do them. We get to do them. Because each of those things help to strengthen our relationship with God with the one who gifts us with all of these things. Now think about it this way. If Rach came up to me and said, Hey, Brian, 
I got a sitter for tonight. You want to go on a date? Am I going to go, ah, crud, a date with Rachel? Do I have to? And then I got to plan things out. It's going to, I got to dress somewhat less imperfectly. I got to have a conversation with the person who helps me get through the week. Really? Hint, no, I'm not going to say that. I know there are a lot of talented woodworkers in this church. You guys cannot build me an awesome enough doghouse to say a statement like that. She says, I got a sitter. You want to go on a date? The answer is Y-E-S. Yes. Because it grows our relationship. We don't have to do Bible study, prayer, fasting, all of that. We get to. Because it grows the relationship we have with the one who gifted us with all those things. Even if gifting us with that meant putting his son on the cross. So before this week, before you do Christian stuff, yes, I have a next step for you guys, and here it is. I want you guys to say this prayer. God, help me to grow closer to you. Simple. It doesn't even have to be those exact words, just that idea. Help me grow closer to you. Now, if you hear this and you're like, you know what, some of those statements you made earlier, I'm not even sure I jive with them. I, I don't know if I even believe the Bible yet, and you're already going to tell me, God, help me grow closer to you. Okay, I get that. But it took me all of about three seconds to say that prayer. I mean, you're going to wait 50 times that in line at Dunkin' Donuts waiting for your coffee in the morning. You could just blast this out a hundred times. So what does this do? If I pray, God, help me grow closer to you, it reminds us that all these things we do, this stuff that we do, prayer, Bible study, going to church, serving, fasting, whatever it may be, all of this is designed to help us grow closer to the one who gifts us with righteousness, who gifts us with faith, who gifts us with abundant life. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. On next week's episode, one of those books I've wanted to read for a long time is by J.B. Phillips, titled Your God is Too Small. Often we appreciate God for what God does. While this is great and keeps us busy worshiping forever, it can be a glass ceiling on our faith. There's a whole new angle on how we look at God and our worship that can help us get through those times when it feels like our world is falling apart. What is that angle? Find out next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.